Well, Happy New Year, by the way, if I've not personally greeted you. Um, it's great to be able to gather together. Um, and for me, as I gather the, today and in preparing, I come with a, a real sense of expectation. Um, just look at January and the things you've heard about this morning. Um, we've got Jenny, Sue um, and Shirley heading off this week uh, at WTC. In, in a week's time, there's a group of us going off to the Fresh Dreams uh, Leadership Conference. Uh, we've got Damien coming. Um, for me, that's really exciting as kind of a contemporary of mine. I remember Damien kind of coming to be a part of the youth group from a non-Christian family you know, and what God's done with him. Then we've got Ken Benjamin coming, someone who, again, I think, really believe God's going to use to speak uh, as he's going around the country during his year as the president, asking that question, where do we grow from here? Challenging churches to say, you know, not about doing more, but actually how do you get closer to God and how does that bring about growth? Um, and that's just the first month. Um, so I'm really, I'm really excited uh, about all that's, that's going to come up, um, those things that we're expecting and anticipating, those things that, that God knows about but we haven't got a clue um, are going to come. Um, that this will be a great year. I want to begin by reading uh, a passage from Genesis 32 uh, this morning. Um, if you've got a Bible, uh, open it, turn it on, I'd encourage you. If you need to borrow one, raise a hand, and we'll bring this apart outside. It'd be great for you to be able to follow through. Um, as we explore a passage, um, my Bible entitles it, uh, Jacob Wrestling with God. Maybe a, a story, a, a piece of the scripture that you've heard of, maybe you've explored it extensively yourself. Uh, maybe it's a story you're kind of a vaguely conscious of, but you've never really got to grips with it. We're going to read, let's say, from verse 22 of chapter 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford at the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me in my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because the, I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. About you, but as I just reading that story now, and as I've read it in preparing uh, before today, it, it grabs me. As I said, it excites me. We have a unique moment here. This is something that doesn't take place in anywhere else in Scripture. Uh, nowhere else do we find God getting down in the dust and the dirt, almost tapping in for what is the ultimate wrestling match. You know, WWF haven't got a thing uh, on what takes place here. You know, Jacob is wrestling with God. And as I'll touch on as we go through, um, this isn't a case of Jacob merely sitting by the ford, his eyes closed, and he's having kind of one of those sort of arguments that maybe you have with God in your head. Um, it isn't just something going on in his mind here. No, this is a physical encounter. 
And so I think it's, it's quite crazy, really, if you think about that. But also there's something really awesome about what is taking place in this passage. Walter Brueggemann uh, said how this is possibly the most extensively interpreted text in the patriarchal materials. Patriarchal materials uh, is basically the sagas of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the story of Joseph. Um, the Skywalker saga comes a lot, lot later. Um, Brueggemann, though, I think is quite true in what he's saying here. Because if you start to explore this passage, if you look at you know, commentators and commentaries and what theologians have said... There are a lot of different opinions on what is actually going on, what we should understand from it, the impact it should have, and all that surrounds it. There's a raft of opinions and ideas here. Initially, though, I'd like to ask the question, what is going on behind the scenes? And what we find here is we find a story of two brothers. A story maybe you're a bit more familiar with than this particular passage. Uh, If you don't know, Jacob is heading to meet his brother Esau. I don't know whether you gathered with family over Christmas, uh, whether it was one of those occasions that you look forward to every year, or one of those you don't. Uh, To say Jacob and Esau were estranged is a slight oversimplification, really, of what was going on. Um, From the off, they had literally, you know, literally the moment they came out of their mother Rebecca's room, they were at each other's throats. Or certainly Jacob, as we described in Genesis 25, said his hand was grasping Esau's heel. Jacob was always after more and thus was kind of driving this rift, if you will, between the two of them. Um, Their relationship was always stretched. Um, because in many ways, uh, because of Jacob's kind of outlook on things, although Esau probably didn't help the situation either. We read earlier on in Genesis how Jacob got his brother's birthright for a bowl of stew. He then deviously managed to steal his father's blessing upon Esau. Esau being the eldest, the firstborn, um, Jacob uh, pinched that from him. And so Jacob has been away for some time. It's fair to say he scarpered, I think, um, and got out of there as quick as he could when things turned to that point of actually this could really get a bit messy for me. And so he's been away, as you do, um, he got married, he's had some kids, he's got a whole load of stuff um, that he's kind of gathered. Although he's kind of gathered some of it, maybe, you know, off his father-in-law who isn't quite pleased about it Um, and so he's decided actually no I shouldn't really hang out with my father-in-law anymore Um, and he decides to head back and head back to meet with Esau and the message actually comes that Esau is coming to meet with Jacob you think oh that's great although Esau's coming with 400 men which I think kind of gives an undertone of what Jacob's probably anticipating here Um, this probably isn't going to be the family reunion that we maybe picture um, as the ideal moment around Christmas time and so I think it's fair to say that Jacob is not in a good place as we find himself here in chapter 32 he's probably quite worried about facing Esau worried about what is going to come and the, the outcome of their encounter. So what does he do? Well, always crafty uh, and thinking it through. Um, imagine he probably panics. But he also, as we read, beginning of chapter 32, verse 7, he divides his, his people, his family, um, his slaves, and all his stuff in two. Um, kind of wisely thinking, well, if, if Esau gets half of it, at least I'll have half of it left. 
we're not told kind of which side he put, you know, kind of the wives and the children and that sort of thing. But he's kind of planning ahead. He, he also, verse 9 of 32, um, prays out to God, realizing that stuff's not looking good, um, crying out that God will help him. And then furthermore, verse 20, we see he then continues this plan, if you will. He says, I will pacify uh, him, meaning Esau, with these gifts I'm sending on ahead. He's still got a plan. He's still got an edge. He's still got an angle that he is working to try and get him through this, to try and get him out of it, so to speak, um, and in one piece. And so we find him at the beginning of the, the passage I read, verse uh, 22. He's here. He's alone. He's by this ford and probably I can picture an image of someone who is pacing back and forwards who's worried maybe playing over all the events of his life um, the choices he's made um, and then at the end of verse 24 we're simply told a man wrestled with him till daybreak I remember as a teenager talking about um, Damien I remember as a teenager here in the youth group we had a game um, called Peanuts um, Peanuts basically is like Mercy, if you've ever played Mercy. If you've never played any of them, you're a better person than me. Um, and basically what you do is two of you are against each other and you kind of lock hands. And the whole idea is to get the other person to say Peanuts or Mercy by causing them pain. Um, and so you'd kind of bend it, that sort of thing. And, that's, and my kind of theory with this was as most people or the other lads in the youth group were two years older than me, I was never going to win. Um, so what I used to do was just kind of hold on for dear life as my knuckles are going white uh, to the point that most of them would then kind of back off and go, I'm just going to give up now because this is just a bit wrong. Which point I would then go, great, you surrender, I win. Excellent. And that was my kind of idea behind it. And I think there's something of what that we see here in this passage of neither of them being willing to back down. Neither Jacob or uh, a man of God being willing to stop. And so they find themselves in this kind of impasse when in verse 25, when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Now, I don't know about you, maybe there's some things kind of uh, buzzing through your head. I'm very much someone who, when I come to the passage, I kind of go, well, what about that? What about this? And I think there are a number of questions that we should just kind of reflect on for a moment uh, when we consider this story um, before we kind of think about the message potentially God has for us today. Um, I think initially we might kind of go, hold on a second, how can you physically wrestle with God? There's, there's a major plot hole here. I don't know if you've ever watched a, a film um, and then afterwards you go, oh, that just doesn't work, really, because he would have never got with her. Um, she's way too wise and all that sort of stuff. Or they'd have never ended up there. It takes like three weeks to travel that distance. How did they do it in two minutes? Um, and we might kind of go with this. There's a major plot hole here. How can you physically wrestle with God? God created the heavens and the earth. You know, he didn't just kind of you know well sort of half do that and then was a you know he's not some kind of genie in a bottle um, we were watching the uh, new Aladdin film Evie got for her birthday yesterday and the whole idea you know you rub the lamp the genie pops out and he can do three wishes which are amazing um, but then he goes back in his lamp and sometimes we might have that idea of God that is that kind of what he's like but no he's not Jeremiah 23 24 uh, says you know he fills the heaven and the earth He's omnipresent. How could Jacob have stayed for five seconds in the ring? 
Um, I mean, there's only so much ducking and diving you can do um, before you're going to get clocked. If we read the text, though, it doesn't speak of God in all his glory here. God takes on human form here. He, he stopped to encounter Jacob at Jacob's own level. And we see this at other times too. If you look at the accounts of Abraham and Moses, God commits to this genuine encounter in a way that actually the individual can cope with, can actually uh, engage with. So it's not just something that kind of, you know, is out of the realms of possibility. Furthermore, though, we might kind of go, well, is this story simply about persisting with God? Is that kind of what this is is all about? Um, Is it just kind of some, you know, allegorical idea um, just to get across the message, you, you need to keep going with God, keep, you know, a prayer probably we could tuck in here, uh, and that's what it's all about. And so it's, it's not really got much more beyond that. Um, probably didn't happen. Um, it's just some kind of dream, all put in here, um, they passed down by generation to generation to get across this idea that you need to keep persisting with God. Again, no. There's a physical impact for Jacob. Um, this wasn't just some mind game. Uh, this was something that actually happened. The other question uh, that I certainly uh, considered was, was Jacob waiting for God to show up? He's there by the side of the, the ford, we're told. Uh, he sent his household ahead of him. Alec Mateer says, Jacob knew he had to face up to his fears on his own before God. Thus, he stripped himself of everything. Because if you think about it, Jacob had been playing kind of hard and fast his whole life. And it had come to basically this crunch point between him and Esau. And in many ways, the account that follows this moment could very easily have been the end of Jacob could have very easily gone rather south when he met up with his brother may not have gone as things uh, were planned and so if we we look at what actually takes place here in many ways what we have here is is a name change that's on its kind of simplest level we could say that's all that this is really about then Um, it's about kind of one individual going by the name of Jacob and then suddenly being called Israel and is there much of importance in that people change their names all the time Um, it's nothing really that special but in reality what we have here is a moment where Jacob's life is completely refocused we might think of, of turning points in our lives when we make decisions and suddenly we head off in a different direction this is almost kind of on another level really if you look at the past and you then look at the future. This is a moment where, you know, they're unable to break free. Um, they're grappling in the dirt and the dust. The man says, let me go. Jacob says, not unless you bless me. Um, he's asking for this blessing. Is he asking for security? Is he asking for land, somewhere to settle? Um, is he asking for more sons? But he gets a new identity. He had been named Jacob, heel grabber, trickster, overreacher, supplanter. Basically a negative, whichever way you look at it. And he lived up to his name. But then in verse 28, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, 
because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Israel means God rules. God preserves. God protects. And so in this moment, a a new being, if you will, is, is called forth. And new possibilities are opened up. I suppose in this moment though, there's still that question of how will Israel now respond to God's initiative? Because this conflict brought to a head I don't know, a lifetime's battlings, really. In this moment, you know, suddenly everything is brought into focus. And his new name is this mark of grace because the old is completely wiped out. And the bar is set afresh. It's an accolade that he's got to live up to, but it's about saying, hold on a second, I'm moving on from all that has happened in the past. So if we then kind of were to continue reading, uh, we'd see that beyond this passage, he comes to his brother, only he's a completely different man. He is completely changed. Matthias said he had feared Esau. His own conscience had made a coward of him. But now, right with God, he could face the future. And if we ask that question, what does this mean for us? How do we take a passage um, like this? I believe God is saying, how about you? Are you ready to face the future? Are you ready to face all that is ahead? See, there's a whole load of, as I said, a whole load of application that could be drawn from this, um, rightly or wrongly. Things God may be saying. As I kind of prepared for today, as I came to this passage, I felt God gave it to me a number of weeks back. And then as I kind of pulled my thoughts together and kind of found myself on the 23rd and the 24th of December trying to write a sermon that wasn't to do with Christmas um, uh, which is challenging in its own right I really felt God say kind of okay be who I call you to be don't be who the world says you are I felt God say don't simply draw a line in the sand because you know at the start of a new year because lines can get brushed away um, they could be here one moment they could be on the next no he said make a decision to hear my voice to respond to my call that you may be equipped to serve the Lord and as I kind of played that over and over in my head I, I kind of took that, that last piece and for me personally I've made this into a, a prayer that I've, I've written down and I am going to pray to pray each day throughout this year saying this is what I want to be about hear me Lord help me Lord to hear your voice to respond to your call that I may be equipped to serve you alone and I felt God's been saying to me over the, the last couple of weeks you know that's a prayer that I need to pray for me, not as a pastor, not as a husband, not as a as a, a parent, but actually as a child of God, and be open to what God is going to say. 
because it's easy for us to come with our preconceived ideas and again particularly at this time of year of what we hope to achieve in the coming 12 months where we hope to get to uh, by the end of this year rather than saying okay God what is it that you've got for me I'm going to actively keep walking forward um, because that what means to follow you but I'm going to seek to do that consciously trying to hear what you have for me Jacob could have heard the words you know your name will no longer be Jacob the man told him from now on you be called Israel and done nothing about it he could have gone great I've got a new name badge um, I'll add it to the other one um, the other one was getting a bit worn out anyway and then headed off to meet Esau but he didn't he responded to what God said and the purpose that God had for him I believe for us as a church our, our four values rest, welcome, generosity and courage um, I think all of them are kind of key things to be building on con- constantly it's not a case that we kind of focus on one and then another and then another um, that said reflecting on it over the last couple of weeks I really believe that our courage is going to be tested this year as a church I believe our courage is going to be tested because we could very easily keep doing good stuff and still be here in 12 months or we could choose to actually respond to some of the things that God is going to say to us and maybe do things that are a little out of the ordinary or are going to really push us to the edge but if they're of God they're the things we should be doing I pray that we will continue to seek the voice of God. To prepare ourselves to serve him. That's you, that's me, that's every single one of us. That this year will be a year that we will say to the enemy, you have no place here. I've been struggling with this issue for years, but you have no place here. I am moving on in what God is blessing me in. We have seen a blockage here and we've tried and we've tried, but no, this is what we're going to continue to invest in. Or there's that new possibility, um, but it just seems too, too crazy. But no, we believe it's what you're saying, God, and we're going to push on into it. So that we will see this community transformed and the communities we're a part of, not just bit by bit but in an immense, godly way. Let me pray. Father God, I want to thank you for for your grace and your willingness to to know us, to, to call us and to work through us. I want to thank you that every single one of us in this room right now Uh, you love us you want to know us and you want us to make a difference for you for some of us that may be like Damien actually training and heading overseas and doing something that was probably never on our horizon um, at all for others it will be remaining faithful in the places that you have already placed us Um, 
that we've maybe been in for years, but actually this is where you've called us to be. And so we need to keep on keeping on for you there, Lord. I pray, Lord, there are are things that we need to lay down before you that you will help us to do that, to freely give them over and to trust in you. And I pray that each one of us will, above all else, seek you in all that this year holds, Lord, that we may glorify you above all else. we respond in worship in a moment I want us to take an opportunity to just chew on this for a bit Um, you may want to sing you may want to that's absolutely fine but maybe there are things this morning that you actually go no this is something I need to give over to God Um, and maybe you're thinking oh but it's something I've given over to God before um, so what's the point but no let's say no this is something I don't want I want you to take this God I want you to help me um, then I want to, if you want to do something practical, I want to invite you. We've got some paper uh, here. You can come and you can write down. You can fa- place it at the foot of the cross. Maybe this year it's about saying actually there's there's something that you know like that prayer that, that I've written. That's nothing special about it. Um, but actually, you feel God saying this is what I want you to be pressing into. Then again, I want to invite you to just write that down. Maybe it's just a couple of words. Maybe it's one word that God's given you that actually that needs to be something you need to be focusing on. Um, maybe there's something else but let's just use this space and this time um, to hear what God is saying and whatever God is saying to us let's not ignore it let's not pass it by let's grab hold of it and be what God wants us to be